This week on the podcast. On this week's episode of Where Did Travel Go? We're talking about Laura's rise to fame and what it's like running a travel tour company in three countries, as well as what it's like living on a yacht. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. And do you know what that sound was, Laura? Uh, no. Those were semi or cicada. <laughs> what does that <laughs> mean, cicadas. Laura? What does that mean? That means summer is finally here and we yes. are sweating. <laughs> <laughs> we are, yes, we are. <laughs> but it's good to see the sun is finally back out. And uh, how are you doing? Uh, you're in, we're recording this remotely today. You're over in Utenji or Nakamegoro? Yeah, uh, just kind of in between the two of them. Technically, Kami Megaro. I'm sat at home in my office. Um, I don't know if it's going to be an echo. It's quite a small room. It's all right. It's all right. We're, uh, we're experimenting here. So um, what, how did you feel about the first episode, by the way? Did you get any feedback or comments? Yeah, I did. Um, I'm feeling quite good. I actually feel quite proud of myself. Well, proud of both of us for actually doing it and getting something out there. Um, And excited to see where this actually goes. And the feedback was good. People said, okay, let's be honest. They said it didn't sound too professional (laughs) in terms of the quality. It probably still doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> I think this might be a marginal improvement, hopefully. I don't know. Um, but people were liking the content and several people commented on the coins at the end. <laughs> the yeah, we'll get to sponsorship later in the program for anyone that's interested. <laughs> yeah, And they actually thought it was a joke and I was like, no, that's genuinely all the money I've got left. Yeah, and I kept it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Combini beers on you next time then there we go or two highs yeah how was your feedback uh feedback was pretty good you know i had people from all over the world quite honestly tuning in to hear us uh ramble on and uh, i think we have high expectations moving forward so hopefully we can deliver well, i hope so too <laughs> question mark <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Hello? Turns out people are there, just remotely, not in person. (laughs) Well, uh, let's try to give the people what they want then. We are um, travel professionals, at least you are. I'm trying to be, aspiring to be one. Oh, hilariously, I actually think you're way more professional than me. (laughs) I feel like I'm still just making it all up as I go along. If the people could see what I'm seeing right now, that what you're wearing, I mean. Well, yeah, let's let's get into it. We're going to provide some travel insights here, some things that you and I have discovered over the last week. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'd like to go first and kick things off. Of course, you can go for it. All righty. 
So we'll start off with the doomsday news first. Get that out of the way. Do, do, do. Are we doing our own sound effects in this? Or do we you can. put them in I'll, after? I'll add some professional ones later too to spice things up. So Laura, <laughs> here's some insight for you. Since I mostly work in the US inbound tourism uh, market, mm -hmm. according to the US National Travel and Tourism Office, the US tallied, are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> it's worst quarter in the history of record keeping by the <laughs> NTTO or, or preceding organizations for inbound tourism in the US in the quarter. The okay, worst. I gotta be honest, it doesn't surprise me because there's no flights. True, true, true. But these are the times that we're in. Let me just give you an example how bad it is. In July, <laughs> in July. I love it, you're really milking it. Okay. <laughs> in July, a whopping total of 39,000 people arrived in the US, the entire US for the month of July, 39,000. That's it. That's it. Last year at this time, 3.5 million entered the United States in the month of July, a 98.5% decrease. Wow. Wow. Pretty remarkable. So this is the reality that we're living in now. It is. And I'm, sure, I'm, that's everywhere, right? Well, I'm sure it's the same everywhere, right? It is the same everywhere. I just found that this was pretty, pretty interesting to know that uh, we're actually living in historical times right now. We are. I feel like we are living through a moment in history and it's something that we're going to talk about for the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah, it'll be stories that we can tell our grandchildren someday and they won't know what physical travel is because they're just, you know, caught up in the virtual world or maybe they're flying to space. Like, why, why would you go to Europe? Why would you, <laughs> you know, when you, can go, when you can go to the moon or... But yeah, anyway. You know, you know, my brain can't quite compute these massive, crazy ideas. <laughs> I'm firmly rooted on planet Earth. You've taken it one step too far for me that's again. That's true. That's true. Sorry, getting carried away here. But uh, so that's my one insight that I'd like to share with you today. Okay, I've got. Um, it's not really an insight, but it's something that made me smile. That was in the news to do with travel. Yeah. Um, Eva Air, which is a Taiwanese airline. Yep. are offering a flight to Okinawa, Japan, that do not land. Wow. Wait. Again? They're <laughs> <laughs> offering a flight from Taiwan okay. to Okinawa, Japan, yeah. they do not land. They turn around and they go straight back to Taiwan. Oh, okay. I thought like maybe they made the people jump out, parachute, like... <laughs> <laughs> The borders okay. are going come in, even on a parachute. Wow. Um, <laughs> these flights are two hours, 45 minutes long. They're 180 US dollars for an economy wow. seat, 215 for business class. Wow. You will get one standard in-flight meal and a Wi-Fi card, which basically means you can, you can blog it, you can WhatsApp your friends. I like that. And then you just go straight back. So you feel like you're going on holiday. You just don't Never really late. get that. Yeah. 
I was going to say that could explain the decrease in the number of visitors to the U.S. passing through immigration. Maybe they're just all parachuting into like the middle of the country in Nebraska or something. <laughs> they're sneaking in. Maybe. I, I love this. I thought this was brilliant. It's um, it, it it really enforces the fact that people want to travel. Like people love the experience of travel, and airlines are now finding ways to try and give them the experience, even when they can't quite have it. I, I love it. You know what? Um, there's something in the works that I'm talking about right now, uh, similar to this, about a virtual flying experience that. Uh, we might be able to share with folks in a couple of weeks. Uh, so I, I love that. I think a lot of people are not only missing going to the destination, but like you said, the experience of of flying as well. Yeah, and um, the Taiwanese airports have actually been offering flights to nowhere for a while now. <laughs> they, have, they have another product where you pay, it's 35 US dollars. You get to check in, you get to go through customs, you get to go to the duty-free, you get to sit in the lounge, you even get to sit on the plane, it just doesn't <laughs> actually take off. <laughs> then you get off again. <laughs> I love this. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, we can, More I countries can, need to do this. Okay, this is going to be a full episode coming up in the future, guaranteed. Let's mark this down. we got to go deep, deeper into this. <laughs> We've got to start this ourselves somehow. We do. Well, I'm going to I'm going to tell you about the next thing that I discovered this week kind of goes in line with this concept of uh, virtual or fake trips. Uh, did you hear about a virtual concert on a virtual island, which happened last weekend? A virtual concert. I can just about wrap my head around that if it yep. means that a band played remotely. Yep. A virtual island virtual island yes a virtual island was spawned out of the universe over the last three months and nobody knew about it well it it welcomed way more than the u.s did last month uh, in, <laughs> in, in one day actually over the weekend it welcomed one million visitors really one million visitors visited um the island which was created by tomorrowland are you familiar wow. with Tomorrowland? Are they, are they a gaming company? Tomorrowland is actually an event uh, production company, and they do an EDM festival every year, which usually welcomes about 400,000 people to Belgium for a, a, a weekend-long EDM concert. Cool. And um, who played at the virtual concert? Well, I think there were... Don't quote me on this, but I think there were around 60 artists. Some of them were names like uh, Katy Perry, David Guetta. Um, I'm not into the whole EDM scene, but, you know, big, big bands that were recorded their performance in four studios around the world. Uh, their recording was then placed into a virtual setting where they were on a stage with a crowd um, on this island. Um, Insane. Not... What's that? This is insane. It's amazing. It is insane. It's insane. So I've actually written an article about it, which you can find on Medium. Um, if you go to medium.com backslash at J Petroski, P-E-T-R-O-S-K-I. Um, 
It's called a uh, hundred or one million people visited a virtual destination, and it was amazing. And so this is a new article that I just wrote this week. And in your article, do you have a link to this concert? Can we watch it again after? I do have uh, some video clips, some trailers, and some information, and I do believe they're still selling tickets if you want to re-experience it. So, uh, yeah, check out, check out that tomorrow. Out. yeah, check out Tomorrowland. I believe it's Tomorrowland.com, and you can uh, see and hear more about this. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, very interesting. Okay. Um, next insight from me. One more, yeah, sure. It's actually something we discovered together. Um, Early, was it earlier this week or last week? It's the Akia Hunters. Do weeks even matter right now, Laura? I mean... <laughs> I know, I, I cannot keep track of time. <laughs> I mean, it could have been yesterday for, yeah, for the way my memory is working at the minute. Um, okay, so Akia Hunters. Akia is a Japanese word for abandoned houses. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the Akia Hunters. Those guys were interesting. Yeah, so this is um, a guy called Matt and a guy called Parker, who together are the Akia Hunters. And they have started a business which helps people find old abandoned houses in Japan. So they're offering like an introductory service and they've got a huge amount of um, data on their database. And they're also starting a YouTube channel related to it. So this is, this is, uh, it see, I was going to say it's a growing trend, but I don't know if it is, but there's a growing interest, certainly, in old abandoned houses in Japan. Because A, there's so many of them. B, they're so cheap. Um, and the people are fascinated in Japan and the countryside area and these more old traditional type districts and rural life. Yeah, I think I think they might be onto something here. And you know, I think I've been talking about this for a few years now myself, wanting to do something interesting in uh, places that you know besides Tokyo and Kyoto. And how can we? revitalize these areas and bring interest to the communities there. Yeah, in fact, I'm um, going to see a few properties over the next couple of weeks. Um, not through the Akio Hunters, something I was already having a look at anyway, yep. um, but it all ties in. So I'll be making some video footage, hopefully. Beautiful, well, maybe we can have those guys on in a future episode and again, go deeper into this subject on one of our uh, programs. Yeah, that would be great. All right. Well, that was some insightful information. We're going to um, take a minute to clear our throats and we'll be back to interview Laura Blackhall and find out what it's like being a travel tour operator. And we're back. Laura, you are our featured yes. guest, guest today. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> this is uh, nerve-wracking, talking no about myself. No pressure here, but we're going to go through a few questions and get some uh, dig deeper into who is Laura Blackhall. So can you tell us, Laura, where are you originally from and uh, what was life like growing up? Okay, so I'm originally from a 
city called Chester in the UK. It's in the uh, the northwest, on the borderline to Wales and in the Liverpool Manchester district. If that helps you to to picture it, not at all. <laughs> Have you actually heard of Chester out of interest? Uh, no, I've heard of Wales, and I believe you're re- you're telling me you lived in the UK. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, Chester's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the UK. So next time you head over that way, it should be very, very close to the top of your list. Okay. It's, it's an old Roman city. So it was founded in the year 79 under the name Diva. And um, it was one of the main, uh, I think it was one of four Roman forts based out of the UK. Okay. So as a, as a fort city, it had an old amphitheatre, um, which is where they'd have, I assume, those kind of uh, fight to the death battles between man and man or man and animal, probably. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> It also has a complete wall around the edge of the city, and the wall still exists. Wow. Yeah. That's not my image of uh, England at all. Yeah. It's it's lovely, actually. Um, in fact, i got to tell you this. I'm probably talking way too much about Chester. It's but right. um, back in the early 1400s, uh, King Henry V made a law or an order that basically said no Welsh man should enter the city of Chester uh, before sunrise and they should leave after sunset. So basically it means no Welsh man should be in the city at night time wow. for fear of decapitation. Jeez. That's how much English didn't like the Welsh. Wow. Okay, well... This is uh, this is getting this is another episode as well. Yeah, this is gruesome. <laughs> that that law has never been uh, removed, so technically it still stands. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening and you're Welsh, uh, beware if you enter Chester. Yeah, don't don't go out too late. Okay. Wow. Well, can you tell me about your career prior to travel and and why you pivoted into this industry? Yeah, so my career prior to travel was pretty varied when I was younger, so just after university. Um, I had an internship in Japan for six months wow. where I worked for a Japanese seafood company. Okay. Yeah, Coming little known fact. Yeah, I finally made it back again. Um, I also tried working as a nanny for a fairly wealthy family in London. I worked for a startup in London as well, doing some affiliate marketing. Um, And I spent a lot of time around then traveling. So I did two really big backpacking trips around that kind of time. One to South America and one to Central America. In fact, when I was traveling, I used to write little stories about it that all went online. This was before blogging was popular, so it's on like a really bad blog site, but maybe we could put a link in if it still exists. Let's dig that up. (laughs) Let's dig it up. Um, And then then eventually I settled into my career or my career before travel. I worked for a big recruitment and headhunting company doing their operations and strategy 
and that company moved me from the head office in London out to Hong Kong to look after Asia Pack. Okay, so that's how you got got to Hong Kong. That's how I got to Hong Kong, and then I had that job, um, which was a, an amazing job. I worked on some fantastic projects, growing the company, taking them into new markets. Worked with a really great cross-functional team across the world, um, but ultimately I decided that the corporate life was not for me, and I just something just didn't quite sit right. I loved it, but I didn't want to be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I get it. Yeah, so I, I decided to quit, basically. And when I quit, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do next. I just knew that I needed the headspace of not going to work every day to right. figure it out. What was there when you were in that moment? Was there someone who was kind of instrumental that helped you with this, you know, decision to transition or the idea to get into travel and to guide you there? Um... A, a little bit. So I, I did have a sticking point on the decision to quit. I found that terrifying because I'd moved my life to Hong Kong and I had a fantastic job and, you know, I had a nice salary and I had some housing allowance and had this support network. So to actually work up the courage to quit and not know what to do was terrifying. Um, I ended up going to see like a life coach, which was recommended to me by a friend who is a racing car driver. Oh. And <laughs> he told me this woman <laughs> makes him drive faster. All she does is talk to him and he can drive his racing car faster. And I thought that's a woman I need to go and talk to. <laughs> and she helped me work up the courage to actually quit. So she was kind of instrumental. And then in terms of finding my way into travel, I'm gonna to have to say that one was my mum. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. I, I was thinking of ideas of uh, way, ways to take my career and she said, Laura, you love to travel. You've, you travel everywhere. You've planned amazing trips. You've been on tours. You talk about them. You've got opinions on them. You're so excited whenever you talk about travel. Have you thought about doing something in travel? You know, yeah, I got to give a shout out to my mom as well. I mean, she's, and maybe all moms are like this, I don't know, but I think they're always, oh, you love to travel. Why don't you do that? Or your photography's so good, why don't you become a photographer? But then, you know, the reality is you say, ah, you know, okay, there's a million great photographers out there, or a million people in travel, or probably everyone on earth wants to work in travel. It is really the dream job, isn't it? Oh, undoubtedly it is the dream job. And I could never leave the travel industry now that I'm in it. What made you, because there's so many you know, um, segments of the travel industry. What made you choose tours? And can you tell us a little bit about maybe your first customer or kicking things off there? Yeah, so for, for why did I choose tours? Um, I love a food tour. Everywhere I would go, the first thing I would book would be a food tour. Uh, because I love to eat, I love to try new foods, and I just love the way that a good tour guide can teach you so much about a city or a culture through sharing its food with you and telling you stories about who's made it and the ingredients and 
it's just special. Yeah. So I started out with a food tour, which I painstakingly designed. This is after I'd gone through the process of the company incorporation and the, you know all the paperwork side and the legal aspects. Yep. So I set about designing this food tour and I was really happy with it, but I had no idea how to get a customer. <laughs> sure. A key point to any successful business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd listed it already on TripAdvisor, but how do you get the first one? Sure. I'm sat in a coffee shop um, in Causeway Bay in Hong Kong with a very good friend of mine, Dave Drew. Um, he worked as a teacher in a private school and we're sat there chatting and there is an older English couple sat at the next table to us and you could tell they just wanted to talk to someone. They were on <laughs> holiday. Chester. There's a Chester <laughs> accent you got there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so they were on holiday and you could just yeah they wanted a chat and they leaned over and they said oh we're really sorry to interrupt but we get the idea you two might live here and we were just wondering like, how do two English people live in Hong Kong like, yeah. how, like what do you do so Dave tells him he's a teacher and then he's all excited and he says and my good friend Laura has just started this amazing tour company <laughs> And, um, and I said, yeah, I have, and I've got this food tour. Actually, would you like to come on this food tour? <laughs> I said, full disclosure, I've designed this tour, I've practiced this tour, but you would be the first people to go on it officially. What? I said, it, it will be free. It will be free. We'll just have it as like a trial run for me with a, a real customer that I don't know. They said, yes, we'd love to. We'll see you tomorrow. Wow, that is the, that is the most awesome first customer story I think I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that started the ball rolling. And then from there, there was another guy that was instrumental in helping me move my business forward. And he is an absolute legend in the Hong Kong tour guiding scene. His name is Jamie. Jamie Lloyd okay, and he has a company called J3 Tours and he just reached out to me having seen me on the internet on TripAdvisor and he went through my website and he basically asked if I wanted to meet up and talk about the industry and he gave me so much advice when I first started and started referring customers to me as well because he was fully booked most of the time. Wow that's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. And then, you know, you started doing tours there and then somehow you ended up living on a yacht. Tell us about this. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you're just connecting all these points. And um, you know what? This story goes back to Dave Drew as well. <laughs> Jeez, Dave. Shout out to Dave. <laughs> hey, Dave Drew. <laughs> um, Dave Drew had um, moved on to a houseboat in Aberdeen Harbour in Hong Kong. Huge thing, like high ceilings, patio doors, enormous, four or five bedrooms. And he invited me over for lunch, or brunch actually, on this boat. And I loved it. I loved it so much, I said, I want one of these. <laughs> As we all do when we're on 
huge yachts sitting in the yeah. uh, Hong Kong Bay eating brunch. <laughs> I'd love one of these. <laughs> that reality hit when I looked at my budget. <laughs> yeah. But I, um, I basically made some appointments to go and have a look at some much, much smaller boats, uh, much older boats and much cheaper boats and found one that was perfect for me. It was an actual yacht with, you know, engines, working boat. And I thought, if I get this, I can live on it and I can use it for my business as well. Wow, that's amazing. I I ended up with my very own boats. I think when I first met you, actually, we were at the conference last July and someone said, did you know Laura has a boat in Hong Kong? It's like, okay, like a dinghy. No, full yacht. <laughs> <laughs> is that the impression I give off when you and meet I me? Was like, and I was like, all right, I'm hanging out with her the rest of this conference. <laughs> <laughs> I think by that point, I'd actually just sold the boat. So, <laughs> wow. False advertising. Yeah. Um, so moving on, I guess, you know, after after you conquered Hong Kong, you decided you wanted you wanted more of Asia. So you expanded to Singapore. Yeah, I realized the, the the tour business was doing really well in Hong Kong and um, the customers were so happy with our services. And by this point, we weren't only doing a food tour. Jamie helped, helped me to see that there's a very big market for these private customized or bespoke tours for people, which went on to become our biggest selling tour. So. Thank you again, Jamie Lloyd, who genuinely are legends. Um, so that had been going well and uh, the feedback we were getting was fantastic. And people were actually saying, you know, do you do this in other places? Can you do this in other places? And when I started out, I mean, I dream big. I always have, you know, big ideas. So I had wanted to, to build it out and it seemed like a good time. The, the Hong Kong team was established. I had a really good team of guides there and and it felt like a good chance to see if my Hello Tours model could re- be replicated in a different city or a different country. Yep. And Singapore seemed like a great option because it was so similar to Hong Kong. It was like, it was an easy way to test the model if I could, if I could actually replicate it. Okay. Wow. And have was, you been to Singapore, Jessup? I've been to Singapore, yeah, seven or eight times. And what do you think of Singapore? I love it. I love it. I can't wait to get back. I actually just received an email this morning saying, let me know when you're back in town. And I I said, whenever they let me come down there and re-enter back into Japan, I'll be on the first flight down to Singapore. Probably with one. And what is it that you like about Singapore? Um, well, I mean, of course, it's it's just easy to communicate there being an English speaking country. I like the fact that it's, uh, you know, I think that it, the greenery uh, everywhere, I think it's a, a model that most cities should follow. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a melting pot. It, in a way, it kind of reminds me of the U.S., uh, the fact that there's just no one kind of national or uh, ethnicity down there, uh, but they're all Singaporean, so I like that. Yeah, it's very mixed. The melting pot is a great, great term for Singapore. Yeah. It's got four official uh, languages, of which English is one of them. Right. So, and that's the same in Hong Kong as well. Um, it doesn't have four, but English is one of the official languages. So for a 
you know, a non-Asian language speaking person like myself to to start businesses in both of those cities has been fairly straightforward. Right. Once you understand what you have to do, it's fairly easy to execute it there. Well, um, I mean, that, that's, that's a great segue to coming to Japan then. I mean, I guess why and... <laughs> I mean, besides now, okay, what was the most challenging part compared with the other two countries? Let's let's just scratch English off <laughs> right right away. Besides English, um, can you tell us yeah, about the experience? That, that's been really hard with Japan. The fact that every single document is in Japanese and I can't read Japanese. I basically, I mean, thank God for smartphones now with the Google Translate camera app. I mean, I literally stand there pointing my phone at everything everywhere, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my main challenge here uh, with the language. And it just means that I work a lot slower. It mm. takes me a lot more time to understand what I'm looking at and how to deal with it. Um, and then in addition to language, the culture is vastly different in terms of how people work and how they do business and trying to wrap my head around that i did i was here 13 years ago with the seafood company so i already had some insight and i i you know worked for a japanese company then so i was aware of the challenges before i arrived right that does not make them any less challenging <laughs> And what was the, uh, so once you got the company set up here in Japan, now you're running three company or one company in three different countries. And what was the experience operating business here in Japan prior to COVID wrecking, <laughs> wreaking havoc here? Um, I was really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, I, I hired um, an, a, an intern originally after I moved, Sid who's helped me with a lot of the tour research and building the content and understanding what should go into the tours. And Sid did such a fantastic job with everything and he was really enjoying the work that he ended up joining me full time. So Sid then became not just the intern doing research, but also the tour guide, um, basically my right hand man. And I love working with Sid. He's great fun. Uh, He's really smart and he just gets things done. So I felt like we were flying. Like we designed our tours, we'd got them up online, the website was done. We'd got the tours listed on a few uh, OTA channels, online travel agencies. The bookings had just started coming in. The feedback was amazing. Like yeah. we were going so proud. We did seven tours in January, which was our first main full month of after launching. And I was over the moon because that was that was more than double what we... Oh, in fact, in Singapore when we launched, I think we did two in the first month wow. after launch. So, yeah. That's amazing. So I guess the, the future, well, depending how this all plays out, the future of, of the business here in Japan could be very promising then. It was most certainly looking that way, yes. What I thought is... it was going to be our, our, what would you call it, like the top one there. Cash the... cow. <laughs> yeah, Do I didn't want to bring cow? money into it. But yeah, I'm going to say, it's my pod of gold. <laughs> I just need the rainbow to come back. Right? And so what is... Uh... 
can you tell us? I guess currently we're we're here uh, August six. What's the current state of of business? I guess in all three markets. Um, can you give us any update? Yeah, there's there isn't really any business to be very honest. Yeah. Um, Japan, Tokyo's. We're not in a lockdown, right? We're not even in a state of emergency, but. Yeah. Tokyo people are being asked not to leave Tokyo and being told not to come in and people are being told to limit their interactions and their movements so essentially we're in voluntary lockdown so we can't we can't do anything here and uh, we can't even launch our tours for residents which is our game plan for the next few months yep the one once the situation in Tokyo is more under control, we'll be able to launch, yeah, some tours for Tokyo residents. Hong Kong, we had launched our residence tours and we'd done, I think, four. And then Hong Kong went back into a stricter lockdown, so that's gone back onto pause. And Singapore, we've just finished designing our residence tours there and we're desperately, desperately looking for a booking. <laughs> Even okay. one. Even one, we'd have a party right now. The situation is dire. Where's that British couple when you need them? Fucking <laughs> England. Right. Well, this has been this has been fascinating. I think we've we've gone well past our allocated time. Our sponsor is probably pissed at us right now, but uh, thank you, Laura. For... What's that? Do we have a sponsor? Oh, just wait and see, Laura. Wait and see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this has been great, and I think uh, we're probably gonna have to again dive deeper much later in a, in a future episode. Maybe we can even take some call-in requests. Uh, some of the people that listen to this, please leave comments on this episode. Things you'd like to know more about Laura and her business moving forward. So, uh, on that note, we're gonna wrap up. Thank you, Laura. You're very welcome. And can I say, I'm really looking forward to interviewing you on the next episode. Well, that's uh, that's the plan. Hopefully next week or the week after, we will uh, dive a bit deeper into my boring life in the travel industry in the last year. Hope to live up and uh, this is a tough act to follow, that's for sure. Oh, I think you'll do it, no problem. <laughs> Alrighty, well, thank you, Laura. So this is where you, yes you, Mr. and Mrs. Sponsor, could be if you'd like to be heard by our faithful audience. We don't expect much. In fact, we're looking to give companies and organizations as much love as we can for free during our discussions. But also, we want to provide this section of the broadcast for anyone who wants to show their support for our show, as well as promote their products and services as they like. If you'd like to get involved, shoot us a message on our Anchor page at www.anchor.fm backslash where did travel go with hyphens. Alternatively, if you're a company or an individual that wants to be a silent supporter, there's the option to give a monthly donation of one, five, or $10 by hitting the support button on our anchor page. 
feel like we ended that interview on a slightly negative note with me basically saying there's no <laughs> So to wrap up today's podcast, should we talk about something slightly more positive and exciting? Sure. Let's talk about what we're both going to be up to over the next week before we come back for next week's episode where we dig more into your life. Okay. Well... What are you up to? And yeah, is it work-related or have you got more personal stuff on this week? Work-related, there's not much going on. So I'm actually going to attempt to leave the city, to escape the city. Um, yeah. Brave bravely and uh and, you know with my mask and everything in tow uh trying to head up to Niigata prefecture and head over to the island of Sado which is uh in the sea of Japan between Japan and Korea uh looking to head up there this long weekend and uh decompress deconnect and uh hopefully come back next week full of energy and uh it'll be nice to get up there and be back in nature again uh work with some of the locals um hopefully preparing for the rice harvest in september when they harvest the rice i do a lot of work up there in the field helping some of the locals out with that so that's uh exciting for me uh, beyond that i think that heading into next week it's just more of connecting with people I have a few projects that are in the works uh, that we'll be able to share here in the coming weeks. And I also have an article coming out uh, in New York City about my Ireland and Japan project. So uh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was interviewed this week and so I'll share that with everyone next week. Fantastic. And can I ask a question about Sado Island? Sure. What's the travel time to get up there? Like, give people more of an idea about, like, how you're getting there and where it is in relation to where we are now. Yeah, so from Tokyo, typically you take the Shinkansen, and that's about a two-hour trip. If you'd like to save a few dollars and take the overnight bus, I believe it takes about six to seven hours to get up there to Niigata City. Uh, Once you're at Niigata, then you have two options. You can take uh the ferry the slow boat over and that's about two hours and 20 minutes or you can take the jet foil boat and that's a 50 minute uh jaunt over to sado and once you're there it's a pretty big island Uh, there's no trains Uh, public transport is a few buses and limited number of taxis so recommended to have a car once you get there Fantastic. So, so all like, in all, door, door to door, it'll take me about seven hours, actually. But Seven hours? Seven hours, but, you know, along the way, you're enjoying, you're going through the mountains uh, in central Japan. You pop out, and then you're in Niigata, and the beautiful green rice fields, and then the the sea is just gorgeous. So the whole trip is, is part of the experience. So it's not like just sitting seven hours on an airplane and not seeing much. You're actually getting to, to take in a lot of different scenery along the way. And so I, I highly recommend it's not it. An, it's not an Eva Air experience. It's not an Eva Air experience. I hope the Shinkansen <laughs> doesn't take me to Niigata and then just turn right around and bring me back. <laughs> hey, you know, that might... That might be something worth, uh, you know, JR, the JR uh, 
east and west to consider is all right you, you don't want people from tokyo to visit you can take them up and turn them right back around so. I, think, I think that's an excellent idea actually <laughs> how about you laura what's your week ahead looking like so um i still have my office staff on board so that essentially means that I'm I'm still in and out of the office and managing them and I give them project work which will hopefully benefit the business when travel does return next year. So we tend to work on content creation for the websites at the minute. We've been writing lots of uh, guides, food guides, bar guides, shopping guides, uh, festival guides anything that people will be interested in learning more about more about so that's ongoing um but i'm also been thinking about the fact that realistically travel's not going to return for what i now think is going to be a year from now i think we both both and now everyone in the industry agrees with that that it's probably we're all looking at another year before we start let's just frame it start to get back to uh, rebuilding this industry and traveling again. Yeah, and originally I thought it would be the end of this year and I was content with the idea that we just carry on as we are, building more content, trying to get our residence tours up uh, and out. And that would be fine if it was the end of this year, but if it's a year from now, I need to do something else with my time as well. So like you, I've also got some projects whizzing around in my head and one of them is to have a look at the idea of getting some property in the countryside and turning it into some form of guest house or remote work location and also myself moving out of Tokyo and spending a little bit less money on rent over the next year. Wow, wow, big changes on the way. Yeah, I mean, it's all in um, research stage at the, mo at the moment, but I will most likely be going out and visiting a few different places to get more of a feel for, you know, what it's really like and the condition of these properties. You know, isn't that kind of the, the silver lining of all of this is like, we, we literally have the opportunity to completely change our, our pattern and our norms and into to try new things and shake things up and that we wouldn't have if you know life was just normal and we were chugging along and growing our business or working or climbing the ladder like it's actually kind of the opportunity for every everyone not only ourselves to really try to do something that they've always wanted to do maybe also and they just yeah. haven't because they've been caught up in the routine and the norm and so i think that I really do believe that that's going to be the thing that comes out of this whole situation is we're going to come out and there's going to be so many new ways of living and services and uh, you know that's that's what excites me and gets me up every morning and you too I, I believe. It's massively exciting. Uh, I'm super excited about the idea of this potential move and I can't wait to to get out there and to have a look and you know even doing this podcast. I never would have had time to have scheduled this in and to have got my head around the idea and to have actually launched it if it wasn't for this. So there's just so much good stuff coming out of this terrible situation. No, I agree. I agree. And so I think that uh, hopefully this podcast as well is uh, 
you know, it's amusing for people to listen to, but I think that it also, we're able to bring in people that are also doing uh, things like this, you know, the doers in the world that are out there and have ideas or dreams and they're actually trying it right now. I think that's going to be exciting to bring them in, share their story and hopefully, um, you know, it's, it inspires others and uh, it's something that we can continue on even when we do get back to normal. I do hope that this kind of medium and communication can continue uh, so that we're all connecting and inspiring one another, even post uh, COVID lockdown. Agrees. Now we're doing it. We're never stopping. No, no, never, <laughs> never. That's it. You're, you're with us for all yeah. eternity. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, this is great. I mean, I know we had uh, we had planned to meet up this week and record our second episode, but actually we, I mean, this is kind of cool. We're recording remotely and I hope it turns out well and uh, safe travels next week and I will see you uh, either physically or virtually for the next uh, episode next week. Fantastic. Enjoy Sado Island. All right. Thanks, Laura. Bye. Bye, Joseph. Bye-bye. Full disclosure on audio quality. Lesson learned. Don't move around while recording the podcast like this, as the audio quality can be very much affected. I did not do a good job. Laura, you sounded great.